When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times and Alison Rudd of the Times. Football is a cold, hard business. It tends to revert to type when the heart briefly rules the head. Manchester United and Chelsea have each made an act of faith. They've chosen club legends as leaders. I suppose the question, Johnny, is who's got the better chance of survival? <laughs> Oli Gunnar Solskjaer or Frank Lampard? <laughs> Gosh, I mean, I suppose my instinct would be Solskjaer. And that might surprise you because... You'd think that Lampard might have more tools or opportunity to make a success of it. And I think he does. He's got a better squad. He's got a blueprint from the club that, that's quite convincing with the youth development. And, and they have been clever in transfers over the last few years. So you'd think that if he can get through his initial period as manager, the conditions will improve and he'll get a bit of time. But Chelsea's Chelsea, and that's where I have my doubts. On the other side, Solskjaer is probably already raised doubts in people's minds, let's be honest, by the way that last season tailed off. This season's been a microcosm of last season. Great start, a bit iffy middle, and then sudden sort of disappointment. But I think he's actually got at least a year, at least another year, if not longer, simply because United are out of other ideas. They have to make this one succeed. And what there is a feeling at the club that there's at last a strategy I think, you know, they didn't admit it at the time. There wasn't really a coherent strategy at United before. There is now a feeling that at least we've got a plan. It's taken us six years to come up with the post-Ferguson plan. And the post-Ferguson plan is, let's just do what Ferguson did. Okay, but at least they feel optimistic on that account. A lot of changes are going on behind the scenes at United. Um, They have signed young players in the summer. They're going to continue to try and do so. And to be fair, Edward Wood has always shown patience with managers. He showed a lot of patience with, apart from David Moyes, but he showed a lot of patience with Van Gaal and indeed with Mourinho. So I think Solskjaer will be given time. But I think United fans are going to have to accept that this season will be pretty much like last and pretty much like the way this season's already started. They're going to have to be really patient because it's not going to go particularly smoothly, I don't know. Because yeah, if, as Johnny says, there is a plan... Ali, well, one, what is the plan? And do you believe, or you know, 
do you agree with me that I can't see an identity there at the moment? You know, what is an, a Solskjaer team? I just can't see it. I can see what he wants it to be. It hasn't actually been exhibited mm. on the pitch yet. I think he he wants it to be, most of all, he wants players who wear their hearts on their sleeve and bash the badge when they score. He wants he wants passion. He's seen too little passion. The the praise he dishes out is is always quite it's quite similar. It's it's for players who they might not necessarily have had a nine out of ten performance, mm. but he he admires what they gave how they they seem to put Man United first. So I think he will, for example, have been absolutely delighted the way that Harry Maguire has immediately identified with the mm. club, the values of the club, a family club, the way he responded to racism on Twitter. You know, if, if you insult one of us, you insult mm. all of us. Mm. And the way he slotted into the team acting in a quite sort of a captain way, as though he came through the system there. So... That is what Solskjaer likes. He likes the idea that if you buy into Man United and its history and its values, its family values and its passing values and its pace on the break and belief in youth and being able to nurture talent, then somehow that will coagulate. I think in the modern world it means mm. it takes a lot more than that. But I think that is what Solskjaer believes. If you have players who want to be there really want to be there and feel proud of being there, then somehow it will all come good. Mm. But again, is it fair to say that this is the thinnest squad that United have had a long time? And it's been going to be stretched even further. You know? Luke mm. Shaw, hamstring issue, at least a month. Well, that's probably mm. optimistic. Ashley Young, mm. roundly booed by most Man United mm. supporters recently, unfairly in my view. Mm. He comes in, that just shows you the lack of depth. Yeah, that, that, that's the issue. Um, They've put heart and soul above ability, I think. It's back to basic stuff. And as Ali said, Solskjaer has gone for that basic thing, which is exhibiting passion for the Man United cause and playing with a bit of pace. You know, I guess it's physicality and, and, and passion. That's fine. But this is a big club we're talking about and big clubs need players with a lot of ability and they need a lot of those players because of, of, of the demands. And that's where United are, are very short at the moment. Um, they, I look at someone like Juan Bissaka, who's got great tools in terms of the physicality, he's got the, he's got the passion and, and all that kind of stuff. He needs developed as a player. He needs to develop the kind of skill side of the game, the creative side of the game. So already one of your key signings is someone that's actually under development. You know, Harry Maguire's fine, that's a ready-made player, but Dan James is another one. He's under development. And those are key players. That's before you, you have injuries like you're talking about and you have to then bring in either you know, the Marcus Rojos of this world or the Darmians or whatever, or, or you have to bring in the kids. And that's where United fans are going to have to be patient. There is a deficit of top-level players at United. The ones they sign, like the Sanchez's and the Lukaku's, they're now getting rid of. And there's a hiatus. And this, to me, is United at the start of a two- or three-year process just to get back to competitiveness if they do everything right. What encapsulates what you just said to me was the last game of last season mm. at Old Trafford, the crowd booed everybody apart from Mason Greenwood. 
Mason Greenwood did not score. In fact, yeah. he missed quite a few yeah. sitters, actually. But he was trying. Yeah. And there, there did seem to me, I felt at that moment, there's a connection there between what Solskjaer wants, what the fans mm. want. And they might just be patient mm. if they don't get the results. I mean, mm. maybe not. But the fact that the fans were buying in at that moment. And he was, Greenwood was the only player that Solskjaer praised yeah. afterwards in that game. Because, again, he was putting... He's inherited a mercenary yeah. era. Yeah. And any new manager has to try and correct the foibles of the previous one. And that's what he's seen as the most damaging to United. Mm. So if that's the case, Ali, I, I tend to agree with you. Where does Paul Pogba fit into this because you know, he's not a badge kisser is he although he understands that having come through the system he understands the ethos of the football club he is obviously ambitious people around him are, are ambitious for him how does that then fit in with the let's just go the old united way well that that that's Solskjaer's biggest project i think mm. and, and if you know if he, was, if he was going home and writing up little homework papers to show Ed Woodward at the end of the day, <laughs> Paul Popper would be the lead title because he did, you're right, he came through the system. Mm. And I think, I think what you have there is somebody <clears throat> who could, if managed properly, say the right things and do the right mm. things and feel the right things. But I think he has whispers in his ears that he's bigger than it and he has ambitions beyond it that flit in and out of his soul, which... I think, sure, Solskjaer must be thinking, I can just tap into the Pogba mm. that knows this club and is undoubtedly very talented and who said the right things when Solskjaer came in. He gave an indication that it was going to be mm. great for him and his career and, he, he, you know, he was glad of the fresh start. It's, it's difficult if you're a manager. You don't want to accept that you can't do it. Mm. I think Solskjaer will believe if he can just find the way to manage him properly, then he's mm. definitely worth keeping. I mean, the, 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 we've been talking about the, the, the players under development and the deficit of world-class ability. There are two players of that ability who are kind of senior players, and it's Pogba and De Gea. Both arguably wanted away last season and even into the summer, but they've given De Gea a huge new contract and they're making a gamble that, that Solskjaer will be able to, to keep Pogba on side. And that goes back to when he managed him at youth level and he feels he does have a connection there. So it's another part of the, the punt that United are are taking but Pogba is essential to that team because he is the fount of creativity and he is the one that has the stature he's the one that stands above them at the moment in terms of his accomplishments as an outfield player they've got no choice but to try and keep him and keep him on side but we have to be pessimistic about that mm. being a smooth process you, you, know, you know football and you know, football loves two plus two equals mm. five doesn't it mm. and if you look at the current conjecture, Mauricio Pochettino, visibly and verbally frustrated at Tottenham, mm. had been on United's radar. Mm. Why, you know, what's militating against him turning up as the next Manchester United manager within six months? Well, there was a moment last season when I think the job was there for the taking for him and he wanted to stay at Spurs. As I sort of said in my long-winded initial answer, I think that moment might have passed. I think uh, this is United throwing their weight mm. behind a Solskjaer-led, back to the Ferguson ways, former players' plan. And they will give it time. I I'm sure they'll give it time. And I think if Pochettino wants to get out of Spurs in the next season, I think it might, the timing might just be wrong for him. Mm. But I can see the logic, Mike, exactly. If you're looking for someone to mould young players together, to restore an identity... 
to bring a sense of cause, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's what Pochettino does. He, he's already done it in two Premier League clubs. The Spurs situation, when he arrived, you know, it's easy to forget what a disparate squad they were with people like Adebayor and um, Kapui, and you know, they were kind of losing their way, and it wasn't wasn't great. And he put such identity into that team, into that club. That's exactly the job that's required for United. But I think they'll give Solskjaer the chance to do it. Mm. If you look at this weekend, you know, the BT Sports game is, is uh, Southampton, Manchester United. Really tricky game for United. Um, is it the sort of game, even at this stage of the season, that they must win? Well, that's the problem with managing Manchester United. Every game, I think, is a must-win. And you get, you know, the forensic analysis afterwards if they don't. At some point, I buy into completely what you're saying. At some mm. point, say they were to lose at St Mary's. At some point, the, the narrative around the club has to be about more than the next game. It has to be about what they saw in the defeat mm. Solskjaer, I think, has to be able to say publicly, I'm still learning and I learn this. Mm -hmm. And I think going forward, we won't make that mistake again and bring people on side. If, if he allows the narrative to be established that the next game against bottom half the table team is critical, mm. that he's, he's not going to last very long. Mm. He somehow has to manage that mm. expectation, I think. And I think he's capable of it because I think the, the will is there. Mm. People, are, people are looking at him and thinking more almost like how do you handle defeat as much yeah. as how do you handle success mm. I think the, the thing that i think the thing that could change it could change everything i'm saying because when i'm saying they're going to give him time i mean ed woodward would be if the glazers got spooked if the glazers got worried enough to say look we can't afford to be out of the champions league another season we don't like how this is going but they've never been interventionist owners mm. so there's no history of them doing that what i've done is hoovered up the cash isn't well, it they've been, yeah they've intervened when there's a dividend to be taken, but but not on the football side. I, I don't think United have been that bad this season, I have to say that. I mean, you know, Chelsea's a sensational first result, maybe flattered them, but okay, great result. They played really well against Wolves and, you know, they, they, they missed their chance when Pogba missed his penalty and they missed the penalty the weekend. They were poor against Palace, let's be honest, but they could still have come out with that game with three points. So, I, I, as I say, I, I think things have been kind of up and down. They haven't been disastrous so far. They've just been up and down like they've been since Solskjaer arrived. Mm. What have you been your initial impressions, Ali, of Frank Lampard as a Premier League coach and manager? I think, wow, he's taken on a tough job and mm. hasn't he been brave? I mean, really brave. Mm. The way he's instantly marginalised or got rid of players that looked integral to the team. And they <clears> were <throat> a team that finished third and won the Europa League. That's no bad thing. Mm. And... He's just come in and made it very much his team and he's allowed to do that. And this really struck me because I, um, I was at the Norwich game at the weekend. What really struck me is the connection between Lampard and the supporters. Mm. And I, I am 100% convinced if they had lost that game, they still would have been singing Frank Lampard's name because I feel, it's a, bit of a grandiose thing to say, I feel Chelsea have entered a new realm now. The amount of discontent from the fans, Audible, last season, the things they were saying about Sarri and his system while they were winning, mm. while they were winning, mm. Abramovich and the board do not like that. They don't like that. They assumed, probably not stupidly at all, that if you win, the fans are happy. And they've reached a point now, Chelsea fans, yeah. where they're not happy to win. They want to win with a connection. 
I think they've got tired of reading about all these thousands of players in the academy that have been loaned out mm. all over the place. They're a club that hoover up talent, know how to process it, know how to get it better by farming it out. Why can't mm. they see it? Why, why are all, all these players who've, who grew up as Chelsea fans, started their careers at Chelsea, why are they not at Stamford Bridge? Mm. And Frank Lampard's saying, OK, that's what we're going to be. It's partly imposed by the transfer ban, but I mm. still think that would have been his philosophy anyway. And although if there hadn't been transfer ban, I'm not sure he'd have been appointed. I think he was the perfect man for the ban and the fact they are, there are these youngsters coming through. But to be so bold about it. Mm. Giroud came on against Norwich and, you know, World Cup winner, crucial to France winning mm. that World Cup. He looked suddenly looked a bit old mm. because you're comparing him with sprightly, audacious youth. So they're almost channeling the spirit of the under eights aren't they you know that that team was the youngest for 25 yeah. years and you've got people who've been there since the age of eight tammy yeah, abraham yeah. mason mount fans can get behind that it's absolutely. a simple thing to understand isn't it one of our own absolutely chelsea fans have been reading about mason mount all last season the season before playing for england under 17s then having a great season at derby tammy abraham i mean he could be the Kane, in a, in a way, I don't think he'll be as good as Harry Kane, but, you know, he's had several loans. Not all of them went well. Chelsea fans have had to watch him in development elsewhere. And at the weekend, certainly, the, it just looked like the penny had dropped. It just he, he just looked like a really convincing Premier League striker. And for Chelsea fans, he's theirs now. He's on their pitch. They're not watching him on loan somewhere else doing all of that. And I, I think what's really smart about Lampard, we know how intelligent he is, it's that old thing that when you take a job, that you're never more powerful than when you first arrive. So if the things you want to do, you do them in your first few weeks because that's when your bosses are going to back you to the utmost. And that's, as Alison said, that's what he's done. He's, he's made his decisions early. He's stamped his authority in terms of which players he wants, which players he doesn't. He's done it straight up. He hasn't waited to see how some players are. He hasn't put the experienced ones in to try and get a good start and then we'll blend the youth in. He's just gone, this is my stamp. This is, this is who I am. And he's done it from the start. Yeah, we all know he's a great interview, but there was a line that he came up with just before the Norwich game, which is, their attitude will define them. That almost links hmm. Chelsea with Manchester United, doesn't it? Mm. But I will back you if you show me you care. Yeah, it's almost transparent management because he said mm. that, because you now know when he picks his team who, who is showing him in training, not necessarily just by being technically mm. good, but getting involved. Kovacic, after the game... I don't think he ever quite got into fifth gear under Sarri, but I can see now why Frank's backed him and will continue to back him because he spoke about how much he's enjoying playing with slightly younger mm. players and the connection they have. He spoke about how being now he's permanently with Chelsea and not on loan from Real Madrid, he feels more part of, of the club. He's saying all the things you want someone who's a bit of a superstar from Real Madrid to say. If he had, I sort of feel if he didn't say those things, even though he was mm. their only signing, if you like, he might have been marginalised. But mm. he's buying into the project. You know, he's saying, I'm getting a lot out of my game by playing alongside players who are quick, mm. quick thinking, fast and exciting. And he's, he, set up, he set up one of the goals with a, mm. a sublime pass as though he's been playing with Tammy Abraham forever. Mm. And he hasn't. He's only been training with him for a few weeks. Mm. And we have, to, we have to remember the two best kids possibly aren't on the pitch yet. Hudson Adoy and, and Loftus Cheek. I mean, in terms of talent, mm. those two probably stand above the rest mm. and they're to come back in it. I'd be quite excited if I was a Chelsea fan. What about the defence? 
that looks yeah. to be their weak area at the moment. Um, yeah. They need Rudiger back, don't they? They do, because oh, and he's not quite a kid, but of all the kind of Chelsea's own players that are on the pitch at the moment, Zuma's the least convincing one from my point of view. And I don't think you're really going to beat the top teams with a central defence of Zuma and Christensen. So they do need Rudiger back. He's a great player. I really, really like him. He's got everything as a modern defender and he's got that kind of personality and, and leadership as well. Still quite young as well, still athletic and young and so on. So he would actually fit in pretty well um, and they do need him. Mm. Let's dwell a bit on the, the nature of management, if we could, Ellie. It's a brutal game. You know, we're already seeing at Watford, Yari Garcia, he's lost seven games on the bounce for the first time in his career. Although the club have denied it, they've already been linked by it with the head coach at Getafe. Um, you've got Jurgen Klopp talking about burnout factors and maybe you know, in a couple of years him taking a year out. What is the nature of modern management and is it by, by force of circumstance a short-term exercise? Well, it probably ought to be for your, your health, really. <laughs> and it is astonishing how many managers are just addicted to being in management and you sort of think, really, why don't you... You've won stuff, have a break. And they don't, they just need to get back. It's <laughs> partly pride, isn't it? If you've lost a job, you want to prove that you can do it again. Mm. And that I think a lot of elements of being a manager are addictive, that adrenaline mm. kick. What might answer your question is someone like Frank Lampard, that those managers who've gone from playing to managing, they're always asked in mm. their first game, how did that compare mm. to winning a cup final as a player? Mm. How does it compare being a manager on the mm. touchline? And they all say, well, obviously I really enjoyed winning the cup, but they say it's better because you, you put so much of yourself into it. Yeah. They're, it's like being a parent, really. If your child is successful, you feel that sense mm. of it's partly down to me. <laughs> and when you're a manager, it's down to everybody on the pitch and the mm. people on the subs and the people in the squad. And you've devised the tactics. You've thought about it. You're setting the tone. I can see why it's addictive, but I could also see why that's hugely draining. If just mm. bringing up a couple of kids is draining, then <laughs> you're, you're essentially being an uber parent, aren't yeah. you? And yeah. you're so exposed. So... Logic dictates you ought to do what Klopp says and take a break and what Pep Guardiola did and take a sabbatical. Mm. You ought to. Everybody ought to with that amount of intense pressure on you. But I can equally see why, if you back yourself as this is the job you want to do, mm. it's just so addictive. Mm. With Klopp, his style is naturally immersive and mm. inclusive, isn't it? Were you surprised when he came out with that, Johnny? Not at all. Um, I think a couple of things, I mean... Ali's right, it's, it's, it's an addictive, immersive job and I think the guys that go on forever, like Roy Hodgson, are of a different sort of personality. Roy's always been able to take his breaks outside of management. Infamously in Euro 2016, him and Ray Lewington went on the Bato Moosh and took the day off instead of watching Iceland, but that's another story. But, <laughs> but, but, but Roy paces himself and, and Roy's a, you know, he's a very rounded individual. And, you know, it's incredible to see what he's doing at 72. There's a different type of manager, and that's the Pochettino, the, the, the Guardiola and the Klopp, who just throws everything into it 24-7. And for these guys, the, the, the emotional energy that they're expending all of the time, 24-7, must be extraordinary. I think they're almost unique types of human beings, different types of human beings to the rest of us. And Klopp's one of them, and it doesn't surprise me that... Um, you know, he, he, he's, he's done seven years at Mainz. He's done seven years at Dortmund. 
he was supposed to have a sabbatical before Liverpool. I mean, his plan was to take a year out and he got the call from Liverpool three months into it. So that didn't happen for him. And now he's talking about, you know, hinting that at the end of his seven years at Liverpool, so the symmetry's there, he might need another break and he'll be in his mid to late 50s. I, I, I can completely see where, where he's coming from. Um, Liverpool are still guaranteed another three years of him. I just don't think there are any guarantees after that where he's going to go. But, I mean, <coughs> he would deserve a break, given what he's already put into the job. And he's also the kind of manager that wouldn't feel that he could do the job if he wasn't 100%. He, he couldn't wing it. Klopp couldn't fake it. He couldn't wing it. He would have to feel that burning um, mm. energy and, 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 and passion. And if he doesn't have it, I think he'd be honest enough to take his break. Um, so that I, 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 it doesn't surprise me at all. Mm. He, he, he could get to the beach at last in three years' time. Yeah. Is he, in, in the meantime, almost enacting a generational shift at that football club. Okay, they've won the Champions League, new Super Duper Stadium, uh, new training facilities, sponsorship incomes going up. So therefore, the financial health of the club is terrific now. The next logical step is to win the Premier League this season. Can they do it? I, I believe they can because you either go one of two ways if you're Liverpool at the moment. And that is that missing out on the title by one point just kills your spirit mm. and makes you think that was the chance. We're not going to get that chance again. Or you think, really, just one point? Mm. We're only going to improve, aren't we? Mm. We're still getting used to, I call it restrained intensity, actually. That's mm. what they've got to find. Mm. Mm. They're intensive, but not all the time. Mm. And that's what Klopp readjusted last season was this he, he recognised that to play heavy metal football constantly will just burn you out. So he, you now see it within games, within mm. halves of games, you see Liverpool pull back, rest, go for it, pull back, rest. We've got this game won, we're not going to do much now. Mm. And as, they, as against Arsenal. Exactly. So if you do that throughout the season, you don't get the burnout. You're managing, as a club, you're managing better things that went so well. So why on earth wouldn't you be a point better off this campaign mm. and little things like you know if far had existed last season Liverpool would have won the title it's very fine mm. margins so take strength from that and inspiration from that fact mm. that you are on a trajectory and you're getting better then if you buy into that I think you'll have every mm. chance of doing so because when I look at City I see them being just as good but mm. I don't necessarily think their trajectory is greater than Liverpool's no. there's been a huge difference between how Liverpool have started this season and what happened after the 2013-14 season, then they had that agonised slump that Alison's talking about. They just seem to have started this season as if we're back in April and they're still going for the title. There was a ruthlessness about them on Saturday, a game management that was, was fantastic about Arsenal. And if City are going to win the league again, they're going to have to be just as good as last season. I think Liverpool have already told us that. City, can you, can you do it a third time running? And You'd, 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 it'd be incredible if City could do that. And you're talking about a generational shift, Mike. I mean, Klopp could walk away. Let's say he does leave at the end of his contract. He could walk away having taken the stadium up to 60,000 on his watch, a new training ground, European champions. And I do think if it's not this year, it'll be in the next couple, league champions again. I mean, it would be a shift akin to, to what, you know, if you look at what happened to United under Ferguson, mm. Old Trafford, European champions title 
I mean, 13 titles. But do you know what I mean? He, in terms of just moving, shifting a football club, I think he's got an opportunity to do what, that. What does he need to do in terms of tickling the team, as it were? There's not a lot wrong with it. There's always been a theoretical worry, and, and a lot of it's based on how fit Mo Salah and Sadio Mane are, because they just keep playing. But there's, there's a theoretical worry. What happens to one of the top, the, the, the front three? Who comes in? Who fills those boots? I, I, I do see that. And the creativity gap in midfield. But again, it's always been theory because they, they score so many goals. You look at them, there's no real playmaker. They've tried to sign them at, at certain playmakers at certain times. It hasn't worked out. But Liverpool are okay. I don't think there's anything needed with that team other than to allow the players have already got to just continue improving. Fabinho on Saturday it was sensational. And you forget he's only 24 and he's had his first year of English football. He's going to be better this year. You know, Andy Robertson's 25, Matip's in his mid-20s, Van Dijk's in his mid-20s. You know, the front three are still quite young. And then you've got the kids, you've got, you know, you've got your Trents and so on. They'll, they'll just naturally improve. And, and the task is actually just maintaining, keeping them at the boil that they reached last season. That, that's the task. And I think everything else will take care of itself. Mm. It does seem to me already, you know, three or four games into this season, there is an acceptance that Liverpool and Man City are in a, on a different planet. You know, you only had to listen to Harry Kane after that defeat by Newcastle, basically saying, we're nowhere near these guys. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, I like being contrary, but I can't, I can't, mm. I can't see anyone other than it being a two-horse race, mm. to be perfectly honest. And it is about climbing up and finding a level and being able to stick at it. Mm. It's about consistency. Mm. It's no good being very pretty one week and then diabolical the next. You'll, you, you're not going to see either City or Liverpool mm. slump to the point. They might lose, but one game each. Mm. But they're not, they're not gonna, no one's going to turn around and say... Mm. Mm. Well, City, just, you know, the virtues are so familiar, aren't they? You've yeah. got you know, Aguero, now scored 400 goals for club yeah. and country. You've got David <clears throat> Silva, who probably you can mention in the same breath as one of the most influential players Absolutely. in Premier League history. Still churning out performances. Yeah. You know, you've got Sterling getting better. I mean, some of the things I said about Liverpool do apply to them. They've got enough young players getting better as well. You've got Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, who make the creative side of the game look routine. They, they, they're so productive and they find it so easy. And then you've got this style of play that just continually creates penalty area chances. You know, the blueprint, no matter, every team knows that City are going to try and pass you around, stretch you wide, put the ball in the middle, but they don't stop it. So they're the same as Liverpool. It's maintaining the intensity, it's keeping them at the boil, and it's going to be about which side drops just that little bit. And then you think of Spurs, I mean, in January, Spurs were right with Liverpool and City in the league. In fact, I think they'd won as many games as the other two. And it's as if those two have just, you know, it's like a, it's like a, Tour de France, those two have just taken off up the mountain and Spurs, having been level with them, are, are gasping at the back and it must be dispiriting for, mm-hmm. for Harry Kane and, and Pochettino and the players there because do they really believe they can, do you blame them for not believing that they can, they can catch them up? That's mentally what they're going to have to deal with now, the new reality. Mm. And that new reality will be all over the North London derby at the weekend, won't it? Who goes into that game, Spurs or Arsenal, in better shape? Oh, they've hmm. both got problems. It is a good question. I would say marginally Arsenal, but I mean, that's really 
because you're pushing me for an answer, really. I think they've both got problems. I'm saying Arsenal because I feel that at Spurs, the problems are bigger. It's big sky thinking problems at Spurs, as opposed to, I think, at Arsenal, they've got their patterns right mm. and they know what they're trying to achieve and it's just tweaking it. Whereas Pochettino, I feel there's something going on there. I don't mm. think he's entirely happy. I know you shouldn't read too much into frowns and body language and so on, but he's, he's clearly not terribly happy no. at the moment. Mm. And it's, it's almost sort of Mourinho-esque in the <laughs> press conference, isn't it? Yeah, no, there's a, there's a moodiness there. And he's always had moodiness. He's always had moodiness. And he's, not a, he's not a good loser, but there's, mm. just, there's just something else. There's another layer to it, which I think began, weirdly, because um, when they beat Ajax in Amsterdam mm. to go through in the Champions League. It was such an astonishing match and part of an astonishing week of football. Weirdly, at that very point, Pochettino suggested yeah. after the Champions League, he might go and do something else. Mm. There was, And I felt, I, it's almost as if he'd made that one big mistake you never make, which is assume something might happen or look beyond the next game. And it's as though that, that final let him down in some way. And he'd, he'd sort of daydreamed about a different type of life, mm. if you like, whether that was at Spurs or not. I think he felt it was a life-changing moment, mm. that defeat of, um, mm. of Ajax against the odds. And because the summer has, has sort of, again, unfolded probably not as he... I didn't expect to have the money he got to spend. Mm. And yet he's indicated that he wasn't behind the spending of the money. Mm. But I think he mm. saw Nirvana and he's got a disconnect there. And he's so um, avuncular with the players. I think if he's off key slightly, I think mm. the players realise it. It must be strange to know that you've, you did have, for example, a um, defensive partnership that was you know, made in Belgium was just perfect. Mm. Tongan and Alderweireld, you could have them. You could have them together. Mm. He's decided, it keeps deciding to split mm. them up for some reason. I, and I don't know how he conveys that to the players, but I think it's... I think it's, there's a sort of disjointedness, whereas Arsenal, if there are problems, it's the minutiae of, mm. of, of maybe bringing through the new players too quickly mm. or giving too much uh, responsibility to David Luiz. And these are things you can, you can micromanage and get right on the day. And, and uh, yeah, it, so that's why I would go with Arsenal having slightly better chance. Because yeah, Spurs are manifestly struggling to break the teams down. Yeah. Is the fact that probably Deli Alley could be coming back enough to ameliorate that? Not quite enough because Christian Eriksen's always been the creative fount. So he has to stay at the end of this European transfer window and he has to be back in the team. He has to, he has, he has to be on the pitch. I don't understand putting him on the bench. As, as Isn't that the worst of both worlds, though, putting him on the bench? Mm. You either yeah, say, you're not part of the squad 100%. because your attitude's wrong. 100%. Or you say, you're really brilliant, you're in the team. I don't yeah. see how putting him on the bench helps. You're either, either your attitude's right or it's not to yeah, play. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, I mean, Deli is the other player that, that will make something out of nothing for Spurs. Slightly different type of player, but, you know, I think we saw in the Ajax game, just the, 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 we opened Ajax up with a touch for the winning goal. And that's, that's the kind of thing he does. In those moments, he can create something and, of course, is he can always sniff out a goal with his, with his late runs. But it's not quite enough to solve their ills. It will help them. But, you know, as we've been seeing, it runs deeper than that. Mm. You talked about David Luiz very briefly. When Arsenal signed him, they knew what they were getting. The odd calamitous brain fade. Well, we've seen that already. Uh, 
is he the type of player who can mm. provide the solidity that, that Arsenal obviously need? I don't know. I, don't, I think that's asking too much mm. of him. He, he, he brings a lot of good things to any club that would sign him, I think. Solidity, no. He's not that. He's, <laughs> he's not, he isn't that. I mean, there's a sort of practical element of it. I think he probably does work better in a back three rather than a back four. Mm. But he, he doesn't bring solidity, but I do think he brings other elements that, that Arsenal did need. He brings a sort of bouncy energy mm. and positivity and an outfit that was getting a little on the glum mm. side. He can be incredibly creative from the back yeah. if, if it's working. And I, I, do think, I do think Emery got his tactics wrong against Liverpool and he was made the fall guy. Mm. If you've got your tactics wrong against Liverpool at Anfield, you're going to look stupid no matter who you are. And it just so happened he made the two most glaring mistakes. But that wasn't entirely his fault because he was exposed by mm. poor tactics. Mm. So I think if he's working in a fully functioning side where the mm. manager's got the tactics spot on, I think you'll see a lot more from him. It's a funny one because creatively, I thought he got his tactics right. Defensively, he got them absolutely wrong. Well, that know? makes David Luiz look stupid. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, but David Luiz was in the first half when you know, the Liverpool were being caught time and again by Pepe and it's, it's, it's dangerous running on the break. Louise looked great, and he was he was pinging these 60-yard balls, and I'd written a paragraph about how he made perfect sense. And then, of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you've got to defend as well. And, and he became the clown again, and, and he was exposed, you know, because they didn't defend the wide areas properly and all that kind of stuff. So if they're going to play a game, maybe with the back three, where they're going to try and create a lot from the back, and they are going to try and hit Aubameyang and, and, and Pepe quickly... He can play those balls all day. He's perfect for that. But they have to have people around him who are going to help with the defensive side of the game because we've seen enough of David Luiz to know that you, you can't, you know, if players are like your children, you, you can't leave a box of matches in his hand. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, would you entrust the box of matches uh, to Steve Bruce at Newcastle? <laughs> uh, you know, here's someone who you know, has all the right you know, biological connections, if you like, and geographical <laughs> connections. Uh, but he's not loved. He needs to prove himself to Newcastle fans. Is a 1-0 win at Tottenham just a nice little start? Do they need, for instance, to follow that up when they play Watford, on, you know, which is basically the bottom two playing at the weekend? Yeah. Well, weirdly, he's already doing better than Rafa Benitez did in his <laughs> opening games last season. Steve Bruce's main problem is that he's not Rafa Benitez. And he doesn't have that aura that Rafa Benitez had. So it's going to take longer for the fans to, to warm to him. But I, I felt that what mattered almost more than the result against Spurs was how he'd set up the team, really. There'd been a lot of criticism that he was, you know, didn't know what he was doing, didn't know how to set up a team, didn't know how to organise a team. He seemed really thin-skinned against that sort of mm. criticism. Well, if they'd lost, then I'd say, yes, thin skin, it's going wrong. But the fact that he allowed it to bother him mm. and that therefore told the players, come on, we can't be accused of not knowing how to set up. If anything, you saw anything of last season, the only sort of good thing about Newcastle was there were games where they were very, for 90 minutes, they kept their shape and they mm. knew what they were doing. To be accused of not, you know, as a coach with his experience, to be accused of not knowing how to train or set up a team mm. must have really got under his skin so what was most impressive was not that they beat Spurs 
but it was that they looked like a team that were well drilled mm. more than anything. And if you're well drilled and you keep to your shape, it means you've bought into what the manager mm. has said. So there's a unity there. So if they can maintain that sense of unity and knowing what they are, what their strengths are, that they can mm. concentrate for that length of time, I think it's, very, it's not going to be some dramatic love in, but gradually, gradually the fans will see this is very similar to what we had mm. under Benitez. And if they get more points than they were getting at a faster rate than they were getting under Benitez, then gradually he will, if not loved, they will be, mm. there'll be a warmth there, certainly. Mm. Do you see that happening? Well, I'm not sure if he's got the players, to be honest. I, I think Steve Bruce is a, is, a, is a pretty decent Premier League manager and has proved that. But I'm, I'm not sure if even Rafa with that squad, and the squad's weaker because Rondon and Perez has gone, even Rafa with that squad had to fight all season to, to keep them up. I think it's interesting how he has reacted so far, Steve, because he's never been a sensitive soul before. Mm. He's always been one of the more kind of laid back, um, rounded individuals in the, in, in the dugout. Um, so what that tells me that this job has got pressures that he hasn't experienced hitherto. And he, maybe it's because he's the Geordie and because this is so important to him that he's feeling it more. But he's talking a lot about the Newcastle goldfish. He keeps, he keeps talking about the, the pressures of the job, which tells you what's happening to him. And, and it does make me think that the two managers that have really handled that job properly in the last what, 15 years, you know, Bobby Robson with all the experience and gravitas in the world and Rafa with his unique mentality and, and you know, his pedigree as well. And it's incredibly difficult. So good as Steve Bruce has been at other clubs, He's got a poor squad and he's got a lot to handle. And I, I think over the piece, I'd still fear for them. Mm. We used to say, Ali, that uh, managing England was the impossible job. Well, actually, Gareth Southgate's relatively he's in his comfort zone almost, isn't he? Games against Kosovo and Bulgaria in, you know, after this final set of fixtures. Um, do you expect many changes within the squad? Yeah, I think he, I think he's a bit like Frank Lampard and Solskjaer, mm. he likes youth, doesn't he? Mm. And he likes the idea that, I think he likes the idea of a legacy, actually, where we, mm. when you look back on England, it's not just about whether England managed to win something, it's about whether they were more entertaining to watch and that he allowed talent to blossom. Mm. So, I, I mean, and, and actually in this window, because of the, the way the season started and because of managers like Frank Lampard bringing through youth, we've suddenly got a plethora of potential new caps or mm. people who've only got one or two caps getting a chance. So um, I wouldn't like to say exactly which ones he's, he'll pick and there seems to be too many number 10s mm. or too many people mm. who, youngsters who are similar. But I think Southgate would definitely want to embrace the theme of the opening mm. of the Premier League, which is that youth is being given a chance and it's, mm. it's looking mature enough to cope with a cap. Mm. Yeah. So being specific, Johnny, James Madison, Mason Mill. Mm. I think, similar, you think? Yeah, I, I put my money more on Mount, Mount and Abraham. You've always got to look at who's who's graduated through the twenty one. Yeah, Grealish, maybe. I think he'd be behind Madison. You know, I, I, th I think Madison, yes, has got a shout, but I'd, I'd, I'd say Mount and Abraham are the two that he might look to fast track. And I, I guess Wan Bissaka, if you if you play for Manchester United or Liverpool and you're English, you've always got a pretty good chance of being in the England squad. Mm. Um, and I, I think he'll certainly be keeping his eye on. Joe Willock and Rhys Nelson, but it's probably probably too early for them at the moment. But you know, he he Ali's right. He will bring in he will bring in some, and he'll bring in the young ones. Mm. 
What about the timing of this break? It, it seems to me this is this is always the worst international break of the lot because you've got three or four games and you're just getting into the rhythm of a Premier mm. League and then, bang, it all stops for two weeks. I know, and on a Sunday paper, you're kind of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, what we're going to do all week. Um, it's true, nobody, nobody particularly likes it. And when you've got a campaign like England are involved in where it's done already, they're going to qualify, they're fine. I mean, it really is... Um, it's going to feel fairly flat, I think, all week. Um, the Kosovo is a good game, you know. It's, it's a new team that they've got some decent players, but I think there'll be a lot of people just fast forwarding to, you know, middle of the month. Well, there'll always be a clash between club and country. Coming so early in the season, this one seems avoidable. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.